Hey, I'm Blake Francis. I'm a millennial and I've never listened to a podcast in my life. So the only comical thing to do is to create a series of audio goodness where I have a yarn to some interesting people I've met in my time. And the challenge is I'm rallying my co-hosts using only the mate's currency, a slab of beverages. Strap yourselves in because who knows where this could go. It's Best Mates with Blake. Yes, we are back. Super excited. We're making our way through the season my guest on this episode today. I met Brett Annabel. He is a fantastic human. I met him, I would say, back in Crown Casino when I was working radio. And Brett, please jump in here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's where I think- we're so it was Jupiter's Casino on the Gold Coast, but but yeah, close. Um, <laughs> that just show, that shows how long I've been out of the Gold Coast for, five and a half years yeah. now, but that's going back at least six or seven, I reckon. Um, Absolutely, yeah. But for anyone who doesn't know who Brett is, you might not remember the name because I feel like a lot of us would be young. I think it's safe to say that, but you would definitely know his yeah. face. I'll say that he was one of the staple hosts of the kids TV show that ran from the 90s into the noughts called In The Box. Now, yeah. you might be like, In The Box might sound familiar. And I did do this test with a few people. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm chatting to a guy who was a host. You might not. And they're like, ah. And I was like, all right, well, let me sing you this song what's in the box in the box what's in the box today and they've gone oh my god yes yes oh, you- the earworm starts you can never get it out that's it you got it now oh my <laughs> god that theme song and we can talk about it soon as well the goodbye song people dreamed about those songs they were so earwormy i don't get it it's a kids tv show and whether like kids were super impressionable you know at a young age and that's what you were opened with and left with at the end of the day once finished watching. But I'm 27 now. I still remember that. And In the Box ran from 98 to 2006. Now, I would yeah. like to think that I unfortunately wasn't still watching it in 2006. I would have been 10 years old or something like that. And it's a kids TV show. I think when I did a little bit of research on it, it was it marketed to preschoolers? Yeah, preschool. So it was two to five was the age demographic that it was that it was made for. But the, the funny part about it was that, yes, you had two to five-year-olds, then had their older brothers and sisters who were getting ready to go to school. So they're, you know, six, seven, eight, nine. They're watching the, and particularly the, the goodbye song because it, it finished the show every single day. So it wasn't yeah. one show that we didn't sing the goodbye song. So you'd be, get, they'd be getting out the door to go to school or whatever, so everyone would hear that song. Then you also had the uni students flicking on the TV and whatever, and they would hear this song every single day as well. So we had this market or these people who would would recognise us when we were out, and they weren't just these little five-year-olds. We would have 19-year-olds going, oh, you're the guy from In The Box, and I love the song, and I sing it every day. So it was quite weird. And then that's kind of great. So I still sometimes get recognised from that by people of your age or or even older because it wasn't just because it was on every single day with, you know, those very uh, uh, repetitive songs, people, you know, lots of people watched it and there there was a huge demographic who, who knew the show. Well, I think, and going back to how we met, I don't think we're even working together. Like I was there for an event in radio, but I think I just saw your face and I'm like, that's a very familiar face. I feel like I know it, but I just couldn't put my finger on it. And then it just came to me oh my God, I don't know why I care about this so much, but (laughs) I'm like weirdly know that guy from my childhood. It's got to be weird. As you said, two different demographics 
coming yeah, up to and, you. And look, there's even now, and and it's it's quite weird because because some of my co have we met before? Because I I kind of really I really know you and. I don't because the most embarrassing thing would be that I go, oh, yeah, I was the guy on in the box, you know, and no, I've never heard of that. So I don't do it. Yeah. Um, and so are you sure? I don't know. You just seem really familiar. And if they go, is it, you know, was it TV or something? Then I'll go, oh, yeah, I used to do this kid's show. I don't know if you ever watched it. But, yeah, so it, it is, it's that thing. People don't actually know, oh, that's Brett from in the box. But yeah. it's just they, they do think because it was there all the time and sometimes you were even watching the TV because it used to come on right before Bert Newton's Good Morning Australia show. So there's a, yeah, a lot of different people that actually saw it, not just preschoolers. And so how did you get into that? Like, was kids TV presenter the career aspiration yeah. for you at the time? Or was that a stepping stone into something else? How'd you, how'd you go about it? Uh, look, I, I actually started my career as a kid on a kids TV show. So I was, I was about eight years old. Um, and I, I got auditioned for a show called, then it was called You Asked For It. It was like a, I don't know if you remember the Leyland Brothers where people used to ride in and go, you know, hi, I've never, never seen Ayers Rock. You know, would you take us there and show us? So we go to Ayers Rock and we do a story and we talk about the, it was an educational program for, for primary school kids, but I got cast in that. So there was uh, seven, seven reporters, uh, became four. I went to, went to America. The show got sold to a cable network in America, renamed Boomerang because they, had a, they already had a, a show called You Ask For It over there. And we did two. I, I spent nine weeks in America um, without my parents, just on the road shooting stories because they, Ameri- they wanted Australian kids uh, showing American content. So we went to Vegas and Lake Tahoe and Hollywood and all that sort of stuff. So it was an amazing experience. And I just, you know, I got bitten by the TV bug. I loved it, loved every minute of it. Um, and so I finished doing that sort of, I was a teenager then, and, and I'm also, a, a, I was a singer and a performer. So I was always in entertainment. Um, and then when the, the In The Box audition came up, I mean, I'd never, I'd never thought about doing preschool television. I'd never done it. Um, at that time, we had our, our first daughter. She was about 15 months old. So I'm a bit like, I can be on TV for kids and, you know, it'll, it'll be sweet. So, I mean, I wasn't uber confident that I was going to get it, but I thought, well, I'll give this a go. So I went and did the audition and it was much, much harder than I thought because we, one of the unique things about In The Box was that we had uh, kids come into the studio. No other preschool show did it. And it was, <laughs> there's very good reasons for that because it's hard work. So we would have this big green door halfway through the show, the doorbell would go and we'd have two, you know, four or five-year-olds come into the studio. We'd have like a 10-minute segment with them of making things and, and doing things and, and, you know, singing songs and activities and then they would leave. So in the audition, um, you know, interacting and trying to get the best out of, you know, young kids was, was really challenging because they can freeze up, they're in the studio, they don't know what it's going to be like. And so... I found it really hard and I walked out of there and thought, I didn't get it because it was, my, my audition actually was a disaster. Um, we didn't even finish the, the show. I had, I had a script for, for a 30 minute show. We didn't even finish it because it was just, it didn't go well. So I kind of thought, well, that's my preschool <laughs> TV days gone. And I, I ended up getting the gig. But I learned so much. I really learned so much. The, the musical director, uh, Rhonda Davidson Irwin, you know, I, I remember who's, who's a really close friend of mine now. We sat there on the first day, you know, learning to sing the preschool songs. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, I can sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. It'll be fun. She's like, no, no, but the way we sing, it's got to be this. And we're educating and it's all about repetition. And so I, you know, kind of thought, and, and as many people do, 
how hard is it to, you know, to entertain kids? It's hard. It's hard work, you know. And I ended up, you know, I, was, I did the show for a few years and ended up producing and presenting the last series. And, you know, I was very proud of what personally I'd achieved, but also what we'd achieved with the show. Uh, you know, the show grew from, you know, this little sort of show that they came out with a puppet and two co-hosts and sort of finding our way through to a really a really uh, good, well-produced um, preschool TV show that even when we finished making it, last, still was on air for another few years. So it was, I was very, very proud to be part of that. It's an incredible time. And I think you touched on the head about you are marketing it to preschoolers, a certain kid demographic. And you said you had no prior knowledge of how to teach. It's like you didn't go in there like having done any real primary education you mentioned like how you sing the songs. I don't think anyone watching that back then, clearly because they were younger, but even the older people, I feel like there's a lot more psychology behind it and how you approach the content that you market to kids. That's like fascinating. The repetition, the, I tell you what, you've done it successfully. If we were sitting here talking about the two songs that were the opener and closer, yeah. like, was there anything that was daunting or did you ever have a moment of, this is a job to me, but in a way, like I'm responsible for teaching a bit of education. Look, we're, I was very lucky. We had a, a fantastic team of people, early childhood educators and you know, really good writers. And, and then when I ended up producing that last series, we were very, um, yeah, we were very, very conscious of, of making sure what we were delivering and what we were uh, producing for, for these kids and, you know, and their parents was legitimate, you know, that it was actually, you know, we were responsible for uh, how, we, how we taught them, we were responsible for the, the type of content. And, you know, sometimes we'd sit there and we'd read a first draft of a script and go, I just, I don't think that's going to work. It's, you know, I'm not comfortable with that, the way that, that the script is going. Let's take it in a different direction because it's, it's more educational. And the, the balance of education and entertainment as well, right? So kids are very, very honest, as, as we know. So, you know, if we're, if we're just hammering them with, oh, and you do this, and this is what you do when you cross the road, and just teaching them things like that, well, they're just going to go, they're going to walk away. So we had to do it in that, you know, fun way of, of attaching a song and writing a song about crossing the road or whatever the, the storyline might have been in that particular episode. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. It was a huge responsibility and we all took it very seriously um, because that's, you know, that's how, how kids were learning. Uh, you know, this, there was certainly lots of other things out there, but we were a part of their learning, uh, their daily learning, and, and that was, you know, we, we took that very seriously. From anything you watched as you were growing up, did you try and pull any experience of you as the recipient of that content, I guess, growing up? You probably wouldn't have thought about it at the time. It might have been like a hindsight look back. Did you pull yeah. from any experience of that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the biggest one was play school, right? Because play school is, you know, has been there for, for such a long time. But play school was very, very good in, in the way that they, they didn't really, sort of in the, in the later, the, the latter part of, of the shows, yeah, they, they changed the set a bit and they made it, they, they moved with the times a bit. But up until then, they were just very much who they were. They were there to educate. They only ever had a piano. They didn't have, you know, a band playing backing tracks. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't full of technology. It was cardboard boxes and scissors and cutting things and singing a song and singing it three or four times over and over. And I think we, you know, we, even when we were making in the box, we would see episodes of play school and they might be doing a similar uh, theme that day or something. And, and we'd watch it and go, oh, 
so clever. See that, you know, just really simple, but we did it over and over again. And so, yeah, I, I think that was a big, a big inspiration for me as growing up watching it, but also then working in, in preschool television and seeing what they were doing uh, and, and, and learning from that as well. I, I, I think you know, it's a fantastic show. And there's still room for all the other shows that have the backing tracks and the dancing, you know, the wiggles and high five and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, our approach was we'll be who we are and everybody should do that, that thing. And it shouldn't be that kids just watch one show. They should watch lots of different shows and learn from lots of different shows and just know who you are and what, what you want to be presenting and what sort of style um, and, and don't try to be everything. Your one medium was TV and you had to market it to TV. And in that time slot of 8.30 to 9, was that at the front of your mind going, all right, we are going for the kids getting ready for school. We need to leave a lasting impression for the day or set them up. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, our story had a, a I'm sorry, our show had a, a strong narrative. So, you know, the, the, the concept of the show was, you know, what's in the box today. So every day we would get a delivery in this place and it would come down and we would open it up and see what it was. It was like, oh, what's in the box today? And it's, you know, it's this. And so that, you know, the, the show might have been about um, shoes or it might have been about time capsules or it might have whatever. Um, and we might have had to make something to enable us to do. So it was very much um, kind of, reaching out to the kids' minds to, to not only the kids who used to come into the studio, but the ones at home where we, you know, we'd ask, the, we'd always ask lots of questions. So we'd, you know, have a piece of cardboard or a cardboard box. I mean, a lot, you know, we used to use cardboard boxes a lot because you can make anything out of a cardboard box. And so we'd always go, wow, what do you think I could do with this? You know, and, and allow the kids to go, oh, use it as a telescope, you know, or just to, for them to start thinking and, and, and almost sort of making their suggestions and even if they were at home and can hear it, but they were still then doing that. So we'd always ask, you know, what, what about this? You know, would this be a good shoe? No. You know, and so it was very much, um, there was always a, a beginning, a middle and an end to every script. So we had, you know, we'd always resolve what we were going to do. So we'd you know, get the delivery, we'd make and do, and then we'd say, and now that's great. We've achieved this and let's, sing and dance the last song and and everything's great so it was definitely a, a way in which you know some some shows don't have a narrative some shows are very segment based so they might be that you know one segment doesn't relate to the next segment they're just two two segments about you know a song yeah. uh whereas it was a story so we you know, and we love that you know we really did and, and you'd see particularly with the kids in the studio you'd see them go on that journey with you and watch it or when i'd watch kids watch the show you'd see them or you'd see them answering those questions and that, and that in itself was kind of weird because you'd be in the studio with no one around just the floor crew and you'd go you know what do you think this could be you know and but you but you'd imagine them going it's such and such you know and and then we'd say you know oh i don't know where well, maybe, maybe it could be what you said but i'm thinking i could do this with it you know so it was all about imagination it was all about creativity and it was really um letting the kids be creative. It wasn't about us. You know, we had one, you know, our early childhood um, consultants were very, very um, strict on, on art activities. So, you, you know, we never used templates. We never said, here's a cutout of a square and why don't you colour it in blue? Because what we would do is say, here's a piece of paper. What shape would you like to make? And what colour would you like to, make, to paint it? So it's all, and, and if that shape was, you know, had three sides and it, and it was going to be a switch. It doesn't matter. Or, you know, your artwork was your artwork. 
whether you, you slapped one piece of red paint, uh, one bit of red paint on it and said, I'm finished, go beautiful, because art is yours. It's very personal, you know. So we, it was all about that. We were very, very, um, what's the word? We, we thought a lot about that. We, we, we didn't, it wasn't just like, oh, that'll look terrible on TV. Let's do it. Let's paint. Let's have all this pre-painted. No, we wanted to see that that process. And sometimes it didn't work out exactly the way, but it was it was the kids doing it, you know, which was important. What did you, growing up when you were young, what, what did you watch? Oh, look, you know, we all watched the kind of the afternoon shows. I mean, for, for me, I used to, I really loved, you know, particularly when I was sort of a bit old, like, you know, 8, 9, 10 or whatever, you know, we, Saturday mornings used to be live TV shows for kids. Yeah, and they were like, well, that's how Hey Hey It's Saturday started, right? So, you know, it, it's such a shame you don't get that live to, you know, Agro's, you know, Seven Super Saturday, I think it was called, with, with Agro. And, you know, it was live. They were all up at Mount Cuther at 6.30 in the morning and went live to wear at 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock every Saturday morning. And, you know, it was fantastic. Look back on it now and you wonder how they got away with <laughs> some of the stuff they did. But, but it was live for kids. Kids got to yell and scream and they'd have, you know, competitions and giveaways and, jokes and it was it was great I, I think that's that's a shame i think that the kids of of this this day and age don't necessarily get to see that there isn't live stuff that that happens as you watch it um so that sort of stuff was always always entertained me because i you know i was always in entertainment when i was a kid i was singing and doing all sorts of stuff so you'd watch some of your friends be on those shows and yeah so for me it was all about entertainment but i liked lots of different things and you've got two daughters now as well so what have they watched and gone through their life with different things um one of them so my two daughters now one's 23 and one's just turned 18 so this year it's a while ago one one was very into dora the explorer because it was all about that again finding the clue and doing this and then getting it was a it was a, a narrative like in the box had where you, you went along and you had to get things to, to get to the end result um, Wiggles was big, very big, um, and so was um, uh, Bindi Irwin for, for one of my daughters. She just loved it. And it was all about music because, you know, similar to the Wiggles, it was all music-based and learning through song. Uh, and, you know, Bindi and the Crocmen was just, like, huge in our house for, for our daughter Charlotte. She loved it. So, and, of course, we had, <laughs> we had it playing over and over and over again, so we knew all the songs as well. And it's a little bit of a blast from the past when we hear some of those songs, I'm like, oh, we all used to, you know, as the adults would be there at the kids' party, we'd all be dancing along with Bindi and the Crocmen, you know. So, um, yeah, but a lot, of, a lot of that stuff was, you know, well, a lot of the stuff that they did love was, was music-based and dance. Do you think there's a difference between, like, technology education and live-action education? Oh, look, I think, I think, again, you know, it does, it, you do have to move with the times. Um, and I think, you know, some of the digital stuff that they do in, in, in children's education now is, is, is very, very good. Um, but, again, I just think there still has to be a balance. Um, and, look, we're seeing less and less of people presenting on TV and more and more of you know animated stuff and and i think that's just you know a lot of that comes down to you know cost and producing and they can you know they can animate it and and and, and get it out there rather than having a whole team of people in in the studio you know two or three times a week to record those shows and it's it's very uh it can be very costly so i understand why i just think it, yeah there does still need to be the balance and i still think the balance of seeing people get up there and talk and interact and, and sing and, and do activities is, is important. Uh, you can do it through, through the digital platform and animation and things like that without a doubt. 
but I, I would hope that there'd be some, there's still the live presenting style is still going to be there uh, for many years to come. Does your daughters know and have you shown them stuff you've done in the past, like on In the Box? Yeah. And, and Olivia, so she was about 18 months or, you know, 20 months. So she was right at the young part when we, we started the show, but she came on the show a few times. It was cheap talent, right? Um, but no, she was on, she did a lot of segments for us, like a lot of little pre-recorded segments with the puppet where she'd sit and sing songs and things like that. So she was on the show quite a bit. Charlotte was born um, sort of towards the end of it. In fact, Charlotte, uh, we did a, did a, uh, a show on, on babies and Charlotte's homecoming from the hospital was we actually filmed a little segment for that and she came home and, you know, here's my big sister and this is Olivia. And so, yeah, we, we in fact, all our, all our families were, you know, the, the whole team, we had our families on various shows because it was just nice to have them part of it. And, you know, we'll sometimes, you know, flick on a, an old episode or something and watch it. And whilst, yeah, you know, the fashion's a bit dated and things like that, but we were never, we were a bit timeless in the sense that it was very much just, you know, singing nursery rhymes or songs that have been written and, and, and teaching uh, the kids through through uh, activities and entertainment. It wasn't something you go, oh, boy, that's, that looks really old-fashioned now. It was just, it was no time to it as far as we were concerned. I'm getting to your job now. So your your role right now is the head of entertainment at P&O Cruises, which I think is such a cool job. Oh, it's the best job. I know. It's I, I, I can easily say that because I love it. I didn't really change careers as such, but so it was actually before in the box. Um, I'd started working on cruise ships as as a guest entertainer. So um, I actually did my first cruise. I think I was 18 years old. Uh, and I went on the Fairstar, which was the only the only cruise ship that was in Australia at that time. Um, and I went on as a guest entertainer, which meant I did did my cabaret show. So I had performed one or two nights throughout the cruise, and the rest of the time I was on the cruise, and that was about it. Well, of course, I loved it. It was amazing. Um, so for me, I and it was I'd only do sort of one cruise, then I get off, and I might do another cruise a few months later, and. But I wanted to do more. So I actually went to went to the then head of entertainment and said, look, you know, I, I'd like to join the cruise staff who are the permanent activity staff on board. Um, but, you know, they, I was getting paid much more as a guest entertainer and, and did two shows, whereas I was going to start working at 8 o'clock in the morning and finish at midnight and, you know, be running around and doing activities and, and that sort of stuff and gangway duties and help, helping people go ashore and, I said, no, I, I really want to do it because I just, I wanted to experience it. I loved the, the cruise environment. I loved the people. I loved everything about it. Uh, so I did. And I started at the bottom. I started, started as, a, as a social director, which basically was, you know, I ran the activities. I did the T-shirt painting and I did the card games and board games and all of that sort of stuff um, and loved it and then worked my way up to become a cruise director. Uh, and then that's where I met my wife. So we, we both met on, on Fairstar. Um, Shauna was the uh, sports manager and also was a dancer in the shows. Um, and so we, you know, we then had a, had a career together as working other cruise lines as well as cruise director. And Shauna was my assistant and we travelled to Indonesia and, uh, and did a cruise ship season out of uh, Fremantle. And so we did a lot, lot together. And then that's when we, we had Olivia. So that stopped. I then went in, went into TV or back into TV, uh, and then when in the box finished, I did I did a little bit more into TV. I went and produced a show over at Channel Nine, um, but I kind of I thought it was 
time to, you know, let's, let me go back and, and do some, some entertaining again on, on board ships. And there were many more options there because there was more ships in Australia. Uh, and so that's, that's when I went uh, back on board as, again, as a guest entertainer, did many, many more contracts. And then the, the job came up to, to, to uh, apply for the head of entertainment job. And, you know, I'd kind of grown up since I was 18 um, with, with cruise ships in my blood. And I'd done many, many different roles, a guest entertainer, a cruise staff, a cruise director. So I did have the experience of... Of no, because the role the role of head head of entertainment is not just about saying, oh yeah, I book some of the bands and the dancers. Um, in fact, my my correct title is director of guest experience entertainment. So, guest experience could be what's the background music playing when you come up the gangway? What does that feel like? You know, what what sort of you know when we when are we going to run the piano bar and what sort of vibe do we want in there and how do we want to create the best party at sea where it's a white party and everyone wants to get out and what's the vibe going to be there and when should that be and how do we balance that and what are the production shows going to look like and we want to you know we want to be different in than other cruise lines where you know piano is a very contemporary cruise brand so you know a lot of you know there's always that tag of like oh yeah the cruise ships like a big floating RSL, but it's you know the people who are who are on uh, actually it, it's not you know and and to be fair, look at RSLs and leagues clubs and these days they're not old fashioned anymore. You know they they've got cool bistros and you know great entertainment and, and big you know show lounges and things like that. So we um, you know being a contemporary brand, we we like to see what's happening in modern Australia. Uh, see what's happening on land from a food and food and beverage point of view, from an entertainment perspective, from an activity. What what's what's the thing? What do people want on their holiday now? Because it's not going to be the same in five years' time. We need to see what that next big thing is. So there are other cruise brands who are very traditional and they haven't changed their style and they still do the same thing. And that's what their their market likes. They like it to be exactly as they know it. The ships look the same. And they go away and they can, you know, they expect what they expect on it. They get what they expect on their holiday. Whereas P&O, we, ch- we change things. We're always, you know, adding new new entertainment concepts and, and things that, you know, maybe it's there for three years, maybe it's there forever, maybe it's there for one year. But it's that that was kind of what was, you know, what was hot at that time. So it's a great job and I love it in the sense that I get to, you know, experience and see lots of things, new trends, you know, not only in Australia but in, all over the world. Uh, to see whether that will work on a cruise ship, to see whether Australian guests would like that on, on their ship. What's, you know, we recently on, on Pacific Explorer, uh, or recently, when we launched that ship in 2017, we decided to do uh, uh, what I call like a Spiegel tent show. So we uh, started working with Scott Maidman, who, who produced and, and was the, the, the brains behind Blanc de Blanc, which is this fantastic Spiegel tent show that, that tours the world and went to Vegas. Uh, and we got him to produce a show for us. And again, very different, very edgy, adults only, you know, a bit risque, uh, or a lot risque, uh, but it didn't take away from anything. It was in addition. So we still had our great production shows. We still have our fantastic live music. We still have our comedy. And then we introduced this new concept called Love Riot. So it, it's about for us is, is really keeping up with the trends, uh, seeing, seeing what's out there and seeing if people actually do want that on their cruise holiday. It's all well and good to say, oh, there's this new thing, let's do this. And it's like, is that what you want? Like, do you really want to do that on your holiday? Or is it just that that's cool for five minutes? So, you know, doing a lot of research on that stuff and um, getting lots of feedback and and then fine-tuning things that we do deliver and we might change it around a bit. 
Um, but it's, it's a fantastic job and, and you know, I, I love it so much. That's unreal. I've got to get to a cruise. That's yes, you have to. <laughs> big time. Now, one of the things I do is called the Best Mates Quiz. It's a quick little fire round of ten questions. This or that? Would you rather? Just to find a bit more about you. I'm going to dive straight into it. Best Mates Quiz. Best Mates Quiz. Yeah. Eyebrows. None or one. Oh, I'd say one because I heard horror stories when people lose their eyebrows and then they start sweating or sweat runs into your eyes and it starts stinging. So at least I have one eye, that'd be okay. Oh my God, that sounds horrific. <laughs> that's yeah. Well, that's what they do, right? They, they capture all the sweat and then it runs that way. So yeah. <laughs> Literally, I've never really thought about the purpose of eyebrows before. <laughs> I know, I, I heard about it. And so yeah, just give you one at least. Yeah, absolutely. Going on a cruise, Europe or Central America? Oh boy, that's a tough one. Um, probably Europe because Europe. you know I love. I, I'd certainly I'd love to to you know sail into Venice, and I've not done that. I've been there, but I, I'm not on a ship, so I'd, I'd definitely like to do that. Amazing, Mario or Sonic? Oh, I think Sonic. Sonic. Oh, okay. both, but but I think you know I, I can I can start to hear the Sonic uh, theme tune playing over and over and over in my head. Yeah, gotcha. Steak, rare or well done. Mm. Uh, if you well get- done is going to be burnt, then I'll take red. But it's you know for me it's in the, it's medium, but it's still nice and pink in the middle and, and done on the outside. Absolutely, live for a year, bald or a terrible haircut? I think bald. Yeah, terrible bald. haircuts are not good to live with. No, absolutely not. Simpsons or Family Guy? Oh, gee, they're hard. <laughs> <laughs> I probably, I probably would have said Simpsons a few years ago, but in the last few years, Charlotte, my, my 18-year-old daughter, has got me into Family Guy big time and I love it. And the writing is just so, so clever and it's, it's fantastic. So Family Guy. Tomato sauce or barbecue sauce? Tomato. Mm, classic. Pac-Man or Tetris? Um, Tetris. Tetris. Yes, good. Friends or How I Met Your Mother? Friends. I knew. I think that the answer for that one is friends all around. Um, yeah. And regular bed or water bed? <laughs> <laughs> when I was about or oh, 16, 15, 16, I, my mum and I convinced my mum and dad to buy me a water bed, oh. and it was for so cheap. It was secondhand, and somebody I knew somebody was selling it, and it didn't have any of the baffles in it. So it was literally one of those with the bladder filled with water. So, I mean, you'd roll over and the whole bed would just do this all night and that didn't last too long. So definitely regular bed, no water beds. That's amazing. I'm surprised. Like I would be really Although I do love sleeping on a cruise ship when it's doing that, but yeah, it's very different to water bed. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd be very interested to see if somewhere someone is still making water beds and if there's even still a market for them, that'd be be incredible. One tiny uh, thing when I do some research for co-hosts, I uh, obviously do it very thoroughly and I go to page two of Google. Page two of Google. Because no one goes to page two of Google. No one does. There's always some good stuff on there. So I typed in Brett Annable and in the box and... An article came up and I want to get your take on it. The headline reads, we need to talk about how cursed Bop from In The Box was as a puppet. Was he a creepy puppet? He was, look, 
Box started off actually, not too many people know this, um, because in the box was set in this kind of like with this place that got a delivery area, kind of workplaces where this is how it originally started. It did it did move on and, and develop from there. But it started off in this place where a delivery came every day that um, there was you know boxes everywhere and, and we would be tasked with with making something so that could help somebody and 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 that was kind of the the, the premise. And BOP, B-O-P, was actually supposed to have been made in this delivery space. He, he was born there and it was bits of pieces. So he was originally made from like scraps. So his hands were like chamois and he had, you know, uh, wool for hair. That, you know, we found a box of wool, so we'd given him some hair. And so he was very, very different looking um, in the beginning uh, than, he, than what he ended up. He did kind of develop and that, that BOP, the bits and pieces thing kind of got forgotten down, down the track. And he did develop and each time we'd make a new uh, puppet, he'd sort of change a little bit. And, yeah, a lot of people, I think when you looked at the original Bop, um, yeah, he was a bit like, oh, wow. But he was supposed to be a bit like, yeah, we've, we've made him out of lots of different things, recycled, you know, and, and that, that's how he was made. That's such a revelation. Definitely didn't know That's, about that. Yeah. And then one thing that if you do look at photographs, and this is this is something that we, when we were even making the show, going, yeah, I can see that. If you just look at a photo of Bop's face towards the end of the series, what his face looked like, and then have a look at Mr. Doobie from Romper Room, it's almost the same face. So if there's, there's, a, there's a new Google thing to do is, is find a, a, an image of Mr. Doobie from Romper Room and that face is very similar to what Bob looked like. So there you go. This is like blowing my little childhood mind. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on board. Now, the one thing I have to uphold in this podcast is that I owe you a slab of beers. And, mate, that's uh, very nice of you. Thank you so much. No, that's right. A big thank you to coming on board. Thanks, mate. Talk to you soon. To catch up on any or all of the Best Mates with Blake episodes, just search Best Mates with Blake wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, to follow along with highlights of the chats, including some clues as to who I might have on the next episodes, follow Best Mates with Blake on Instagram. Cheers.